The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the book club show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imran Mahmood and today is the 26th of September and it's just turned 10 o'clock. I hope you have had a wonderful morning so far. It is a little bit wet and to be honest that, I mean, I was about to say to be honest that means that... Um, you know autumn is kind of creeping up but obviously we are in the uk the rain is kind of um part of our lives here but but still but still i did see um the sun sneak out for a little while a bit earlier on so maybe um we still have a little bit of summer left anyway i am really delighted to be bringing you an exciting show this morning um i am joined by a wonderful um, award-winning author and we are going to be talking about her book which is called The Things That We Lost. So this is by Joy D. Patel and it's been an absolute delight reading it. Um, it there's lots of different themes that are covered within this novel um, including kind of family relationships and grief and love and loss and longing. There's so much um, covered and enjoyed the rights in a really really beautiful way um so as always i'm going to read the blurb of the book and then um we're gonna hopefully have Joyti on the show with us this morning um not in the studio today but in the virtual studio so we'll be talking her um to her over um online but so today the show is the things that we lost and the blurb is Nick has lots of questions about his late father, but knows better than to ask his mother, Avani. It's their unspoken rule. When his grandfather dies, Nick has the opportunity to learn about the man he never met. Armed with a key and new knowledge about his parents' past, Nick sets out to unlock the secrets that his mother has been holding onto his whole life. As a carefully crafted portrait Avani has painted for her son begins to crack and painful truths emerge, can the two of them find their way back to each other? So The Things That We Lost is a beautifully tender exploration of family loss and how far we will go to protect the ones we love. So that is... Um, the debut book by Joyti Patel um, and um, I'm really delighted that we'll be having her on the show um, this morning um, and what's really really um, actually exciting is later on so the, for those of you who know I also run um, a women's only book club in Luton um, so she will be joining us later on this evening because we are actually celebrating um, nine years of our book club so there's Lots of um, kind of exciting things going on um, there, which is fantastic. And um, I think it's really, you know, the, the whole point of the show is that we're able to celebrate um, underrepresented writers, that we're able to hopefully um, get ourselves into um, the love of reading. And that was always the aim of the show, to rekindle um, our love of reading, to really inspire, hopefully, um, younger readers and actually adult readers as well, because... I think that a lot of the time we do spend um, getting busy, you know, if we're parents or carers, we our routines get busy with, um, yeah, just, you know, bringing up the next generation, um, I guess. But also sometimes we're busy with work or some errands or there's always some sort of, you know, other kind of responsibilities that we all, always carry. Um, but obviously we do know when it comes to reading, it is definitely um, a really important part of our health and well-being. Um you know, one of the main, I guess, really positive um, outcomes of, of reading is that sense of empathy because books really do take you on a journey. They take you um, to various different, um, I guess, places and spaces. Um, I can't remember who said the quote, but they said that, you know, books are a way that you're, you're kind of able to travel, you know, because you really are transported um to different um to different eras and there's so much always that's going on um so yeah it's really really wonderful that we've got um joy the on the show this morning i think we are just trying to um sort of a little bit out in the background just to hopefully get her um this morning on the phone so yeah you can just bear with us there um so as i said um there is lots going on in terms of um the things that we lost in terms of the themes that are covered and um What's really um, great is I think 
as kind of the South Asian diaspora, um, it's really important that we are able to... Um, you know kind of talk about these different themes and really um yeah that we're able to work i guess where we all are and where we find ourselves um so i'm just going to basically hopefully have joy on the line i'm going to ask brother Tarek to um come into the studio and um help me get this set up because i cannot right now see um how to um, bring joy on so just bear with us there um Hi, Imana. I think I'm on already. Ah, Can you hear okay. Me? Yes, yes. You know what? I was still waiting ah, for something to do with Zoom, but no, we're all good. Thank you. Hi. Uh, good morning, Joyti. Good morning. Sorry, I didn't know whether to interrupt you or not. No, that is so here. sweet. That thank is so sweet of you that you did it. And I was just going to carry on until <laughs> until somebody gave me. But yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. Um, let me give you a proper introduction and then we can kind of delve straight into the show. Um so Joy the Patel was born in Paris to British Indian parents and grew up in northwest London. She is a, uh, is a graduate of the University of East Anglia's Prose Fiction MA and winner of the 2021 Murky, Book, Murky Books New Writers Prize. Her writing has previously been published as part of We Presents Literary Series and in the anthology for the 2022 Bristol Short Story Prize for which she was shortlisted. Things That We Lost is her debut novel. So thank you so much, um, Joythi, for joining us this morning. I guess we can kind of delve straight in and maybe for our listeners just to find out what your journey has been like up to this point. Of Obviously, your your debut book has been out now. Um, but yeah, how it, how it was in the run up to that. Yeah, so I, I always wanted to write. I, you know, I studied English for my undergrad at university um, and then sort of stopped writing just because I... I sort of was very aware of how hard it is to actually get published and so I sort of like put the dream aside um had a career in marketing and then I think it was around 2017 2018 I started writing again very suddenly like unexpectedly mm. um and it was a conversation between a British Gujarati grandson and grandfather um and that became the first chapter of the things that we lost. Mm. Um, so I went back to university did a master's at the UEA which was incredible um and at that time, I really worked on the novel and I really sort of, um, I basically went to uni with like, I don't know, 50 or 60,000 words of it written. And I came mm. out with about 12,000 words intact. Right. Um, I basically started from scratch and I learned so much on that course. Mm. Um, and then it was maybe even, I think, like a couple of weeks after I got my um, my results that I applied for the Murky Books New Writers Prize mm-hmm. with, I think it was chapter three from the start of the novel, right. um, where one of the characters, Avni, is um, at the banks of the river Ganga with her son, Nick, mm. and she's performing the final rites for her father, who's the grandfather that I mentioned earlier. Um, and I won the Murky Books New Writers Prize. Um, I mean, I submitted the chapter in like, must have been about October, November, won in, I think it was April mm. um, uh, of 2021. And then, yeah, you know, the book came out in January this year. I spent between April 2021 and January this year sort of working on it, editing it. Um, it's a long process in publishing. So that's my journey in mm. a nutshell. No, and it sounds amazing. And actually, I'm absolutely in awe that you were able to do this and be, you know, studying and, you know, all the things that go on when we're kind of at that age. So that's really amazing. And and actually, could you just give us a little bit more um, information on what the murky um, books um, kind of prize is and where that's kind of um, come from and, and I guess what platform that's giving writers as well. Yeah, definitely. So Murky Books is an imprint with Penguin. So mm. it's like a little section of Penguin, basically. And it was set up between Stormzy and Penguin um, in order to really champion untold stories. Mm. Um, so traditionally, you know, publishing has got a very certain type of mm. like reputation. And I think there's been a lot recently in the last sort of five to 10 years to try and change that and to try and change the way that um, British bookshelves look just because there, there hasn't always been a lot of representation of different groups within the UK on bookshelves. So Murky Books is very much like trying to change the mainstream and trying to create space in on British bookshelves for stories that would otherwise go untold. So the New Writers' Prize when I applied, it was open to 16 to 30 year olds. I think that might have been tweaked. Um, mm. And it was, um, yeah, it was open to to writers who were didn't have agents, who weren't published, and who were very much at like the beginning of their journey. 
Um, and it was to give these writers like a chance at being published, essentially, and um, their stories, which might not otherwise be picked up, mm. um, a chance to, you know, to, to be published. So that was very much the case with mine. You know, it's a, mm. it's a story set in northwest London where I grew up. Mm. It's a British Gujarati mother and son. Mm. Um, there's lots of like Gujarati words in it. There's lots of sort of the Gujarati culture in it. Mm. Um, and it was something that, again, I hadn't really seen before. Um so yeah, it, it fit the the sort of remit of the prize quite well. And yeah. the prize is open every year. So I'd encourage anyone who's who's mm. sort of unagented, unpublished, who's a mm. budding writer to definitely go and check it out. It's called the Murky Books New Writers Prize. Yeah, and you know, when we talk about representation, especially when it comes to kind of literature and publishing, of course it's it's so so important and so much of it resonated because um I grew up in northwest London. So when you were speaking about Neasden, I mean I went to school in Neasden, you were talking about IKEA, I think I work there for about six months, um, you know, getting myself through through university and um so and it was something so um I think it was just so lovely about that because you know we the more I guess we are getting British British South Asian writers on bookshelves like you've said that's the thing you know is the power of being able to be seen and have our experience experiences be um kind of yeah just just platformed and celebrated that way I think is really beautiful so yeah I mean I, I just wanted to say thank you so much for for writing the things that we lost and and I guess the thing is that um you cover so much which is you know again it's a testament I think to to um you know you yourself as a writer so you know as we mentioned you talk about family relationships so you've got obviously Nick and and his grandfather you then have um Avani with her mother um Avni, you know, obviously the fact that she's, um, you know, uh, with her partner, etc. So th- there's a lot that that's um, covered their friendships. I mean, obviously, I, c- I guess I could go on with a list. But I guess my question was, how did you navigate your creative writing process? Because it is kind of important subject matter, but obviously you also want to write in a nuanced way as well. Yeah, it's a really good question, actually, because... You know, I I started writing this book, like I say, um, I can't remember the exact date, but it was Mm. around 20, probably around 2018, let's say. And it was published in 2021. And I spent all of that time with the characters. And even though I wasn't, I'd have big chunks of the time, maybe like six months where I wasn't even, you know, looking at the novel. And then I'd spend a few months on it, Mm. put it down again, pick it up again. Even though I wasn't writing every day, I, I had the characters with me and I was thinking about them and their relationships and during those years like their relationships and their histories there was so much texture and so many layers being added to their stories even though I wasn't actually writing and I think that's what lends itself to what you're talking about like the Mm. way that the intergenerational dynamics and the family feel very real because the characters were just with me so long and and I would be thinking about them even if I wasn't writing Mm. and you know wondering what they're up to and there were many you know you asked about a little bit about process there are many chapters in the novel which didn't actually make it through Mm. where I just wanted to say you know for example if I put these two characters in a room what would happen or there's a chapter written from Nick's perspective if I looked at that from Avni his mother's perspective what it would what would it Mm. look like Mm. so you do all these things as a writer that don't actually make their way down to the page but they're Mm. so all of that sort of background work is so important Mm. for then creating a multi-generational sort of family Mm. within the pages the book that feel really real um and I did want them to all feel very real a lot of people say oh look are they based on people you know or your family but my family are like the opposite of the mm. one in this in this novel I wanted them to feel mm. like real but then very much you know fictional and um it was really fun sort of creating them and it was quite I think lots of debut authors if anyone's listening who is a debut author will relate mm. to this but it's a really strange feeling when you've spent so long with these characters mm. and then you just you're just finished and you're just mm. like oh god I have to leave them alone now yeah. um so yeah it was really fun sort of yeah. being with them for that long. no and I really love what you said about textures because it, it gives it this um really I guess yeah it, it, it's just that reality of how you can really delve into like another person's life and you know and again you know in a really really layered way so I think that's really interesting to and also to 
and see how I guess you, you your own uh, thinking works as a writer and and it's true because I you know I've spoken to you know various authors you know in in the past as well and there is it there's that thing of yes you know I I had a whole stretch of absolutely writing or, and then there was a big stretch of I didn't touch it at all but but you're right it's that kind of invisible time that where you you know like you said you're still thinking about the characters because you need to obviously have that whole um trajectory isn't it of a character which I think is really um really great to actually know um so I guess kind of um delving a bit more into the book and some of the themes that you tackle um quite early-ish um in the book um there's a mention of like the the Union Jack and how the the character so this is um Avni when she's younger I think she's with her brother um and how that how identity I guess is portrayed and how maybe whether we do or don't have a sense of belonging when when we see that flag um so why were these that why was it important for something like that for you to kind of include in in the novel itself as well yeah that's a lovely question so it's um you know, the genre of the book, it sits within contemporary realism, which means that it's a novel that unfolds. It's supposed to, the, the aim is for it to unfold the way real life would. It's meant to feel like real life. Mm. And I really wanted to touch on themes of identity, race, belonging in a way that would feel real, mm. as it, as in it's, it's, you know, a reflection of how you would go about your daily, you know, your daily life and then have a sudden microaggression or mm. there's something where you can't quite articulate, but you feel uncomfortable. Um so I wanted to to basically set the the two timelines as well. So Avni, the mother, her she's growing up in Harrow in like mm. the the seventies and eighties, and then we flip between her growing up and then Nick, her mm. son, growing up in twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. And I wanted to set the narrative in those two specific moments of history mm. because I wanted to look at, at what was going on in the seventies with the NF and. Mm. Um, the sorts of racism that were playing out in the 70s and then juxtapose that with that very specific pocket of time we had in mm. the UK in between the Brexit referendum mm. and Brexit actually happening mm. in 2017, 2018, where there seemed to be this huge surge in like xenophobia that was bubbling under the surface and then came out. So coming back to the flags, you know, I look at um, early in the novel when we're in 20, sorry, when we're in 1970s, the late 1970s, Avni's a kid and she's with her brother and they see the Union Jack, which at the time was, you know, very much tied to what was going on with the NF and mm. um, the National Front. And then again, later in the novel, there's there's a moment where Nick feels uncomfortable seeing the St. George's flag, which mm. again, you know, was taken by the EDL and the BNP. And there are these undertones of, of you know, um, mm. they're, they're these undertones to the flags, the two different flags at two different points um, in history. And I wanted to just look at, very subtly and quietly like look at what that feels like when you're a brown or black person in the uk um and you're in for example like a very white space or you're away from you know the multiculturalism of northwest london mm. and to see the weight of what those those symbols sort of hold mm. and the way that they have been sort of taken and they sort of quietly say something more than just representing a country now mm. um and it's very quietly done you know i'm not there's not paragraphs and paragraphs about how the characters feel when they see these things. It's just mm. subtly there because that's the way it exists in real life. You know, mm. we'll go for a walk in the countryside and see St. George's flag in a pub and think, mm. hold on, should I should I go to the next pub or should I go to that one? <laughs> so, yeah, I hope that answers your question. But that's a little mm. bit of the background of, like, why mm. I set the, the narrative in these two timeframes and what I was trying to do with, you know, the contemporary realism and then mm. the the sort of the quiet nods at what it's like to be brown or black and white spaces yeah no and thank you so for sharing that as well because i think those parallels because of the dual timelines is really really kind of effective and and i think you know a sense of you know like you said because they're microaggressions and you've touched upon it in a very kind of micro level but that is so um because i think it does uh, a really important kind of job because I was reading and thinking, you know, I've experienced this so many times. Um, and, you know, you've captured, you know, at one point, you know, Nick um, experiences, you know, um, well, he, it is literally a, a racist incident. And um, you capture his emotions and feelings kind of really in a very visceral way, like I could really feel it within me as, as I was reading it. Um, 
and and how how was that then um for you so how are you because you know the other things you also write about is um for example the relationship between Avni and her mother you know it's quite abusive quite toxic um and that was quite difficult to read so I guess I was thinking how it was for you to write these and um what time I guess you were taking for yourself to process it because I can imagine it it must be quite difficult to write as well yeah, it, it is. And it's it's interesting because when you're a writer, you know, you're talking about um, writing just before I came on. And I think you were touching a little bit on like the empathy and mm. and how, you know, to read is is an act of, you know, mm. empathy, really, to be able to live in someone else's world and feel and understand things that you might never experience, but you feel them viscerally, like you're saying. Mm. And to write also is, a, is an act of empathy because you're trying so hard to get into the mindset. You know, I'm in the mindset... And I was writing this novel of a 45-year-old widow, mother, and an 18-year-old son. And I'm neither of those things. I'm neither a mother nor a son. But I had to really get into the mindsets of those characters. And it's the same when I was writing the difficult chapters with Avni and her mother. And I was writing the difficult chapters of Nick, who really struggles with his mental health when he leaves London for university. And he feels extremely isolated. He's grieving for his grandfather. He's, you know, suddenly confronted with with the fact that he's a brown person in a white space it mm. it was it wasn't you know it wasn't the most jolly of times for me as a writer mm. to to get into those mindsets but you're right I, I did have to step away a little bit and take time to process and to find the line between like transposing something onto the page that felt very real and that would feel very real to the reader but then also trying to remember okay this is actually just fiction like mm. it hasn't actually happened even though I had to live through it in my head in yeah. order to write about it yeah. um so yeah, it's an interesting space to be in, and I don't know if it will be relatable to, to anyone who's who's not an author or, or creative. But it's a very yeah, it's a very niche sort of feeling to have mm. gone through something fictionally to in order to write about it in a realistic way, but then you haven't actually gone through it yeah. that exact thing. Mm. Um, but you know, the things that Nick experiences, like you were just saying, you related to some of the microaggressions and stuff. I think it was really important for me, even though it's like I say, a piece of fiction lots of the things that he does feel and he does experience are things that you know Mm. I I went to university in a very very white town and Mm. I for the first time in my life like Nick was experiencing microaggressions and overt racism and I was so confused because I'd grown up in northwest London um and Mm. I didn't realize that there were parts of you know pockets of England that was still quite xenophobic in ways or Mm. um that you know when you went out to the countryside sometimes these things did happen Mm. so that's something that I tried to put into the book and you know something that you touched on um Mm. these feelings of you know when you've come from quite a multicultural place and then you find yourself somewhere Mm. that isn't Mm. the way that you have to code switch and navigate those spaces yeah absolutely and actually obviously that there is a bit where you kind of um talk about a little bit about code switching as well but um I was just going to just come back to obviously the fact that the things that we lost that your debut book that obviously you've included you know uh, things like um racism and um kind of you know everything that's going on socio-politically almost like a mirror holding up a mirror to to the UK were you at any point slightly concerned about how audiences might kind of receive the book because I guess in some ways you are holding up or you're, you're kind of uh, delving into complex relationships um, like you said in the South Asian or you know particularly British Gujarati um, like families but then also this idea of the UK potentially pockets of the UK obviously still being very very like racist so yeah I, I guess I was thinking about your thoughts of, of how the book might be received. Yeah. It was interesting I had a bit of a wobble about it just before the book came out because I thought mm. oh god people are actually gonna have to read this now. <laughs> And I, you know, like you touched on there, it, it it's a very, it's very much a realistic look, mm. you know, it's it's one look, but it's a realistic look mm. at what it's like to be a British Gujarati family moving through the UK. And like you touched on there, I talk mm. about the microaggressions and, you know, the, the belonging and the identity and the constant sort of feeling, do I belong here? Am I, am I British? Am I Indian? Mm. You know, um, I look at also the family, like I mentioned, um, the chapter I submitted for the Mercury Books New Writers Prize. They go to India to the, to the Ganga, to mm. um, the River Ganga, to perform the final rites. And there, both of the characters are like, we're in India where we're told we belong to, but we don't mm. feel like we're part of India because they see us as British. Mm. And when we're in Britain, you know, we're seen as Indian. So mm. there's always these in-between spaces. But coming back to your question, 
I look at not just what it's like to be a brown person in the UK and, and these specific, like you say, very like charged moments in history, but I also very much try to portray a realistic look at what it's like to be a Gujarati family in the UK and some of the the, the problems that come with that. You know, mm. there's a lot of anti-blackness in the South Asian community, which I've spoken about before. Mm. You know, I look at colorism in the book. Mm. I look at these things within the Gujarati and South Asian communities that often we don't want to talk about because I felt like in order to write a contemporary realist novel, in order for it to be real, I wanted to be truthful. Um, so yeah, I was worried when the book came out because mm. there were so many people yeah. from the Gujarati community and the South Asian community who were really mm. excited about it because they were going to see representation and they were going to see a British Gujarati family within the folds of a book. Mm. Um, but what comes with that is the truth. And there's so many beautiful parts of being Gujarati and South Asian. But I also wanted to hold the community to account and to be like, we're great and we, we do all these beautiful things, but we also have these deeply rooted um you know problematic views about colorism and mm. anti-blackness and these things so they're also subtly quietly in the novel too um yes. because i didn't want to portray just one side of it i wanted to show a very realistic truthful yeah portrayal. and i think you know you've done that really really well and you know i think um, again you know just to commend you for, for being able to do that and, and be brave and thank god you know that the book is out there we are heading to a break so we'll be back shortly in a few moments to continue talking to joyti patel about the things that we lost Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the book club show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imran Mahmood and it's just gone 10.30 on the 26th of September. And on the show, I am delighted to be joined by Joydee Patel and we are discussing her debut book, the things that we lost. Um, Joythi is the uh, winner of the Murky Books a New Writer's Prize. And in the first half of the show, we were talking about some of the themes of the book, which include um, family, um, love, loss, grief. There's a lot covered in this book, and I really, really enjoyed reading it. We also spoke a little bit about um, the importance of representation on British bookshelves and ha- giving a platform to- for untold stories. Um, so we're going to carry on the conversation with Joythi because she is joining us on um, the uh, studio, well, the kind of online studio, so to speak. Um, so what to, um, good morning and welcome back, Joythi. Thank you so much. Um, so we, maybe if we just carry on um, the conversation. So just before um, the break, I asked you how you were kind of feeling about having this book out in the world, especially because you are tackling some quite, you know, difficult, I guess, you know, subject matter, which is really holding the mirror up to, I guess, our own communities as well as, you know, wider UK society as well. Um but how maybe moving on how has it been now that the book has been out there and how has it been received and what's it been like you know maybe attending different events and yeah what what's um yeah just describe that for us yeah it's been it's been a really lovely yeah because it came out in january mm. um so it's been like basically the whole of this year has just been like mm. um enjoying finally having it out and seeing it in bookshelves and you know speaking at festivals and the thing that's been the most exciting i think is meeting readers mm. um at book clubs and at events um it's been really lovely to to meet people um who've read it and who've enjoyed it and to have conversations about how you know what they thought about it um that's Mm. i think a lot of people who are authors myself definitely write for connection Mm. you know i always say i wrote this book to connect up the different parts of my past and to make connections between myself and how I fit into the world and to process that through the act of writing fiction, but also to connect with other people. Um, mm. So that's been the most special part of it all is, is just meeting readers and speaking to them about the book and mm. seeing how it's like impacted them. It's been very beautiful. Yeah. Mm, and that's so nice. And I, know I, d- I did mention in the introduction in, in the first half of the show, obviously you'll be joining our book club this evening in Luton. So obviously we're all really, really excited about that. Um, and I guess, you know, how has it been in that case? Um, because obviously you you're 
I guess the book is out there and but what about like your um kind of closest people to you what have um they said about it and how has how's their support I guess got you through because that's the other thing really because as British Asians this type of um career I mean I know things are changing potentially now um but back in the days you know it was that stereotypical thing of doctor engineer lawyer etc um so yeah I, I guess you know how's that that kind of um side of things been for you yeah it's a good question actually I, I definitely do think things are changing now I look at like my little cousins and my nieces and stuff and mm. it feels like they have you know I could be wrong but it seems to me like they have much broader sort of access to the arts now because you know my I'm of the generation where my parents my parents moved here in the 70s um, and 80s from Kenya mm. much like the family the book they're, they're Gujaratis in Britain via East Africa mm. and you know every time they moved they sort of had to start from scratch when they went from India to Kenya and then Kenya to the UK and I think my so my parents moved here when they were sort of teenagers um, and so I'm, I guess, second generation, even though technically, I mean, I was born in Paris, but then we moved back to the UK. Mm. So it's a bit confusing. And I know the whole generation thing doesn't really make sense anyway. But my parents sure. were very much like here when they were teenagers. And I think now the generations underneath me, I still had that sort of thing of, the, of my from my parents of like, I have to have a career that's going to mean that I can earn money and I don't have the luxury of just being able to take a couple of years out to write a novel or mm. you know things like this mm -hmm. so which is why you know coming back to the start of our conversation I studied English but then I threw myself into a career in marketing because I needed to live and yeah. it was only when I just sort of found a good rhythm with that and I was like financially stable that I thought okay I can pull back now and go and do a master's and start writing again um so it wasn't, I mean, it, I don't think my parents were jumping for joy when I was a 16-year-old, I said, I want to go and study English at university. I was the first person I, that I know of in my whole family to ever study in art um, at university. My parents and my family, they were all in like tech and medicine. And um, so I don't think it was the easiest conversation, but I'm really glad I did it. And I'm glad that I stood my ground and I had a really brilliant English teacher at school who told my mom, like, no, she's she can be a writer, like she's very good um which really helped mm. um so it wasn't the easiest path for me but my parents were incredibly supportive when I did just say this is what I'm gonna do um they sort of got over it and then now they're just yeah very very proud I think mm. to see that the novel's out and also that I've written a novel about you know about the community mm. and the British Gujarati life mm. and you know in a way even though it's fiction a story that mirrors their journey of coming to the UK mm. um and I really do, I think, you know, coming back to the Murky Books New Writers Prize, you know, if something like that had existed when I was 16, it would have really made me think that there's a chance. Um, when I was growing up, I, I very rarely picked up books about mm. with people in, yeah. in them that looked or sounded like me. Mm. Um, and I didn't really feel like I could write a story that was reflective of the people that I grew up around. I always thought I had to mm. sort of align the characters and the things they went through in the fiction that I wrote to the Western canon and the books that I was being given at school, you know, Jane Austen and the Brontes and, mm. you know, all of the very like Western canon style. Um, so again, it's why, you know, platforms like Murky Books are so important because they're actually, hopefully now, plenty of books where kids can go to the libraries and actually see mm. themselves represented and, and write stories that represent them too. It wasn't something at all that felt like an option when I was growing up. This is the first thing I'd ever written with a Gujarati character mm. in it. It was always stories yeah. about white characters because that's what I was reading growing up. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I mean, I've got I've got two daughters, and I've all I always also found that when they were writing whether it was for you know bits of homework or doing some sort of creative writing, they were also writing about. Um, in essence white characters and it was interesting for me then to have that conversation with them and say you are allowed to write about you know things that matter to you and you're allowed to write about um you know the characters that you can you know uh, reflect on and, and resonate with and it was it was like you know I could see the how their face changed when it, it kind of dawned on them that oh yeah like we can um and I think it's really interesting because it really is um about taking up space and I know you know we we say that a lot as as um kind of like people of color and obviously that does require a lot of a lot of energy but I guess the more 
we are able to do that and take up space and tell our stories you know obviously it, it should become hopefully you know easier and especially as um, young people are, are kind of growing up and like you said they're able to see themselves as well um I think the other thing I found really interesting and, and kind of quite endearing about your debut book, The Things That We Lost, is the relationship that you have between Nick and um, his grandfather. And obviously the whole book is um, based on the fact that obviously his grandfather passes away and that um, kind of what transpires, I guess, with Nick in terms of him trying to seek the truth and him also trying to deal with so many various aspects of his um I guess identity. Um, I mean, it made me think of my relationship with with my kind of late grandfather, and you know, he he lived with us, and you know, I had a very very close relationship with him. And again, it made me think of how I felt when when he passed away. Um, I guess the question that came to mind is: we're now living in times where kind of multi generational households aren't maybe as as common um although having said that i think maybe because of the cost of living crisis and and things maybe that will start to change and shift again um but yeah my question really was to you that how do you think um that is impacting society the fact that maybe young people aren't interacting with as you know elders in their family or in their community um and yeah how that might kind of play out in in the long run Yes, it's an interesting one because, like you say, especially in in lots of South Asian culture, and particularly like Gujarati culture, we we do have these sort of multi generational families and these really really close relationships with grandparents, and there's a big sort of you know um, there's there's a huge sort of rhetoric around the idea of service and mm. family and looking after each other, and I know what you mean. I think you know as the generations pass and things change like the the grandfather in the book doesn't actually live with um mm. Mm. nick and avni but again very typically he lives down the road which mm. is another thing that happens you know yeah. um so they do for all intents and purposes see each other all the time they just don't live together but i think that it's a real shame i think when i see i, I feel really sad because i speak gujarati and the last you know the, the only person left really who i speak proper gujarati to is my grandmother she's my mm. only um i've only got one grandparent left mm. and when she passes away i i often think about the fact that who am i going to speak gujarati to how am i going to sustain the language you know mm. and it's something i think about she's very old now and, and i do think about that i think like am i i'm going to lose this sort of touch point i have to the language and the culture mm. um and coming back to your question i think there's so much joy and warmth and like beauty in those relationships between intergenerational sort of family members mm. and when I think about myself and my gran or I think about Nick and his grandfather like there's so many stories in there as well I think which is the most interesting thing to me as an author there's obviously the thing about language but there's so many stories from my grandmother's past and you know my grandfather too when he was when he was alive like but I just I would love to have known more about mm -hmm. and I think for me that's the biggest impact of like not sort of living with grandparents or, or seeing them as often or when you do lose them is the stories that get lost with them too mm -hmm. um, and something that I enjoyed a lot when I was writing this book was speaking to my mum and dad and my grandparents about what it was like when they came to the UK, because I don't know about you, but mm. many, many of the people I know who came here via East Africa, or even just, just came here from India and, and, mm. and um, you know, South Asia was that they didn't really talk about their stories. They were, mm. they were in such a state of like shock and a, a state mm. of just having to crack on with it. Yeah. that They never really stopped to reflect. Um, and they didn't really ever stop to share what they went through. Mm. So, that's something that I really hope we don't lose. I hope we, we have these conversations with, with that generation. I'm really glad I did with my parents and my grandparents, like about their journeys. And a lot of that informed the way I wrote mm. about the characters' journeys in the novel too. Um, and it's something that's come up a lot actually at book clubs, particularly when there are other Gujaratis or South Asians in the audience. Of You've talked so much about the journey from, mm. you know, these different places to the UK, but why is it that that generation just don't want to talk about it? Mm. And I think it's because there's a lot of trauma there. Like, you know, my dad, like the family in the novel, came to the UK 
you know, months after Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech, mm. you know, what would that have been like? They were told, come to the UK, it's, they're going to be, you're going to be so welcomed, you're going to be naturalized, all of this mm. stuff. And then they came here and there was all of this real hardship that I can't even begin to think about. Mm. Um, and they don't ever talk about that time. They just say, you know, it wasn't easy, but we just got on with it. We mm. just got on with it. Um, and I think a lot of that silence around the time is because of the hardships of it and the trauma, if I'm honest with you. Mm. So, I think mining family histories for, you know, now, now that time has passed, for what actually went on around that time is mm. something that I think would be a shame to lose, you know? Yeah, and it's so essential, I think, <clears throat> that we're able to yeah hold on to those stories. And I think what is great is um, there are kind of different organisations um you know kind of I guess um, rooted in South Asian stories that are archiving you know materials and uh, photographs or, or you know whatever it might be and you know it's again something I hadn't maybe thought of as much when I was younger but now I'm getting older now I'm kind of a parent and yeah taking that time to um I also have like one, you know, grandparent left. It's, it's you know, my, my um, paternal grandmother. And I mean, she now is um, suffers from dementia. But what I'm really glad is before the onset of that, just have had even just a few conversations and I'd recorded, you know, um, audio recorded kind of some of those conversations with her. And you're right, the stories that are there and, you know, it's so important. And, you know, for all listeners, anyone who might just be listening, you know, the next time you're on the phone to you know, I don't know, relative, um, I mean, I'm, I was about to say back home, I know the word back home can mean so many different things. But, um, you know, it's so important, yeah, just to maybe take that time out and, and have a conversation. And, and you're right, so much of it, I guess, was this form of um, survival because of the trauma. So yeah, I mean, completely echoing, you know, what what you've said. And Again, I guess that's another reason why when we talk about representation and the importance of books and obviously your book, the, uh, you know, the things that we lost is, again, it's um, a testament to those stories and the fact that it's out there and we're able to, you know, um, yeah, j- just have it as a companion, I think is really, really lovely as well. Um, so I guess kind of maybe a- another thing that I wanted to, um, to kind of speak to you about is what you mentioned a bit earlier on because Nick who is the character in the book and he's kind of navigating his identity he's gone from very multi multicultural kind of northwest London to then you know in a more kind of white dominated um kind of community to, to study but you know this kind of term of multiculturalism it's definitely you know evolved it's become very politicized um and so I, I want to kind of get your view on what impact that is having now then on kind of immigrant you know communities and and generations and what can we do to kind of deal with it I guess on a on potentially on an individual level yeah I think it's interesting it's something that I've I've thought about a lot as well just because you know people have different views about what for example my family like I say have been here since this the the 60s 70s 80s and Mm. You know, um, we feel very much like, you know, we're Gujarati, but we're British. Mm. And I think this is a thing I try to look at in the book as well. This this idea of like how much you belong. And it's like a Venn diagram of who belongs where, like how mm. long have you been here, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's really a very difficult one to answer and a difficult one for me to even think mm. like to, to try and articulate because it's, you know, especially with the history of the UK, with all, you know, the with empire and mm. the way that so many countries across the world the British went to and now we're all here because many of us were invited. It's very confusing because it's like, you know, when I look at my my, my family story, they, they very much, you know, were living in Kenya, like mm. the characters in the novel. And then when Kenya got independence from the British, they were, you know, they had British passports, so they came here. And it's like, how much do we belong here? Um, and you know, many generations later, how much do we belong here still, even though we feel very British, you know, when I go on holiday, and someone says, where are you from? I say London, Mm. because I live here, and I've grown Mm. up here. Mm. Um, So it's a very interesting one. And I think it's, it's as nuanced as, you know, a thumbprint is your Mm. identity, and how much you feel like you belong in certain spaces. And I have friends who feel very much like they're British and friends who feel very much like they're Gujarati and Mm. you know family who feel the same and it's okay to be all of those things I think Mm. um 
so yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. And I think identity, this is why I think so many debut writers who are from minority backgrounds do look at identity in their first, in their debut novels, because mm. it's such a complex and nuanced thing. Mm-hmm. And it varies so heavily from individual to individual. Also, how much you perform your identity and the ways you perform your identity and the ways you do feel like you belong or don't belong. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you've said about that idea of a thumbprint is, is so true because that really does capture the reality of, of our individual kind of experiences and, and how that all kind of pans out. Um, I was just going to say that there's a message um, from um, Neelam saying, Assalamualaikum Imran and hi to Joydi. Lovely to hear about your journey to book writing. And I agree with Imran, it's lovely to read books that resonate with our childhood and culture. It makes growing up in that era seem, in quotes, normal. Um, so look forward to seeing more books in, um, on the shelves like this. Thank you so much, Neelam, for your um, message. Um, and I think actually, Joydi, kind of carrying on from what you were just saying, and it's something you mentioned um, before about this idea of code switching. Um, now, later on in the novel, you kind of, I mentioned this idea of, of um, having or putting on um, a white voice. You kind of speak about the fact that, you know, people of colour had to work twice as hard than, you know, their, their white counterparts. Um, so do you think that it still kind of exists? Is it is it changing? Um, and, and how can we kind of maybe potentially um, address that inequality that might still exist? Yeah, it's an interesting one. There's two things there, I think, to separate points. The first one was about like language and, um, you know, the, the white voice, etc. And mm. a lot of the novel is about language itself. Um, mm. And the way that, you know, when you do speak two or more languages, you can see, mm. you know, sort of blind spots in one that don't exist in the other. For example, a lot of the novel is about male mental health. And in lots of South Asian languages, including Gujarati, we don't have, you know, specific words for like anxiety or depression or mental health. You know, my grandma will just say tension. Mm. She'll be like, don't pay attention to as an all encompassing yes. word for all of these things. And when you don't really have the the language to pinpoint something like anxiety or depression mm. or panic attacks, which Nick suffers from, it's almost like they don't exist. Mm. And you can't even really understand them or, or pinpoint them or Mm-hmm. let alone begin to think about how to deal with them when you don't have language to describe them. And often, you know, I talk a lot about how if you speak multiple languages, you see these ideas or these things that exist in one that don't exist in another. And it's almost like your whole life experience and your lived experience is different depending which language mm-hmm. you speak, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and coming back to Nick and his, you know, he talks about how when he's in these very white spaces, he he speaks differently to the mm. Northwest London vernacular mm. that we see him use when he's in Northwest London. And that code switching is something that we've touched on earlier and that mm. we do all the time when we're in white spaces. I speak so differently, you know, mm. when I'm with my friends from Northwest London than mm. I would when I'm doing an event, for yeah. example. Mm-hmm. And we all do this in very subtle ways, no matter where you come from. You know, you talk mm. differently to your grand than you would to your partner. Mm. But... I think there's an added layer when you are someone who's grown up, um, you know, yeah. in in somewhere different to, to where you, you, you end up, basically, or when you someone who doesn't have the privilege of being, you know, mm. raised in the place that you feel that you belong to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's that. And I also, along the same lines, included lots of Gujarati in the novel that goes untranslated. It mm. is an italicized. There is no glossary because I wanted... Gujarati to exist within this book with as much weight and as much beauty and power as English because mm. in my mind they're two languages that hold the same weight so and and you know that's how it, they exist in the minds of mm. many people who are from the same background as me and the characters in the novel and it's certainly how mm. um the characters in the novel see English and Gujarati so that was something as well that I wanted to do I wanted like the form and the way I wrote about these things to reflect the meaning behind what I was trying to say. Mm. Um, and I can't remember the second point, actually. I've gone down such a rabbit hole with the first one. But, no, no um, not at all. I mean, it was it's just been nice. I guess, no, it was it was kind of that, the fact that this idea of also having to work twice as hard. So I'll say there's yeah, one bit, which is the code switching, but yeah. yeah. That was a really interesting point that you made. So I, when I mentioned that, it's Avni who's in the, at the time she's in the late 90s mm. and she's in the tech industry. She works, um, she works as yes. a management accountant and moves up to like a um, CFO um, working in the tech industry. And obviously now the tech industry has got 
many mm. different kinds of people in it and you know my family work in it and are very successful and I don't think they would have now had the hardship she faced then mm. um but it is interesting because then you look at you know for example being someone who's brown or black in the arts and mm. you know the space there is very different to what it is in medicine or tech or computing mm-hmm. because you know the yeah. there are less people who are from um you know minority backgrounds in higher up positions in the arts mm. than there are in tech and medicine do you see what i'm trying to say so yeah, it's it's interesting this idea of working twice as hard because at the time yeah she would have had to and it's something she would have definitely felt um whereas now i don't know if that would be true i don't know because i don't mm. I, I haven't looked into it but mm. now I, I, ex- I expect like in tech and computing and medicine like things are different mm. um whereas in other industries like film and the arts and music and I don't know if it, if it would still be a case of you mm. have to you have to really forge your way because um yeah. you know the structure isn't there yet mm. um so it's an interesting one it's an interesting one it's something that I felt in my life at mm. certain points when I've been in certain industries um and I think again coming back to the identity piece it's very nuanced and individual to the circumstance but certainly for her in the 90s in the position she was in mm. I would imagine it would have felt like that yeah absolutely and I guess that's the thing when we talk about things on a kind of systemic level those are the type of conversation I guess that kind of sometimes need to be had depending on what kind of sphere that you, you occupy um so we are literally I think just under a minute away and I, I, what I wanted to ask is what is next in the pipeline please tell us that there's something that we can kind of look forward to um from from you oh thank you so yeah I am working on the next novel it's still going to be hopefully like a um, a family dynamic sort of novel, also set in Northwest London, but a very, very different set of characters. Um, it looks like it's going to be a, a female protagonist this time, sort mm. of in her late twenties, early thirties, just like navigating life. Mm. Um, but like it's still, still very much rooted in that British Gujarati South Asian mm. diaspora. Um, so yeah, I just have to write it now, and hopefully yeah. <laughs> one day it will be on your bookshelf. <laughs> no, and we definitely look forward to that, and I'll definitely have to have you back on the show uh, when when that's out. I just want to say thank you so much, Joyti, for your time this morning. It's been an absolute joy um, speaking to you, speaking about. Um, your book things that we lost um and yes of course we'll be welcoming you to luton a bit later on so we um also look forward to seeing you then um but in the meantime um we are heading over to the end of the show we were talking to joy d Bedell about her um debut book the things that we lost um please do get yourselves a copy i really do recommend it i think it's really a beautiful story that tackles a lot of um like we said there's untold stories so it is something i think you will definitely enjoy um but in the meantime i'll be back inshallah in um, a couple of weeks with a new book and a new guest so until then please take care and keep us in your du'as assalamu alaikum thank you for listening to our podcast why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefm luton